Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 31 through 56. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And he said to them, Shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when he saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly, utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gesenaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever um, they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Demeters. So if, uh, if you're not aware, we're, uh, we're going through the Gospel of Mark right now, and it's, it's been uh, really good. We actually started day one uh, with going through this, and so now we are finishing up uh, chapter 6. Uh, as of late, probably a month ago, we started taking these bigger sections because the way that Mark reads is, is intended, it's written intentionally, to kind of be a fast-paced gospel. He uses the word immediately uh, so many times, and he's trying to get us kind of caught into this, this rhythm of, hey, I'm, I'm trying to tell you a story here. Let's get to where we want to go. And so um, we have another big section ahead of us, and so let me kind of catch you up if, if you're not aware with where we're at. We started this whole thing going through Mark, kind of seeing for, for uh, all intents and 
purposes, who Jesus is. Um, we, we really wanted to ask the question, um, who Jesus is, because we would say as a church, we're about Jesus, right? And so if we're about Jesus, we want to know who he is and what he's about. And as we started to find out what he was about, we started to see that he's this God in Trinity. He is, um, he is the son of God and, and something as, as we as readers see, but, but the audience, the, the people who are around Jesus, interacting with Jesus, they, they don't see this. And so it's just this, this crazy opportunity for us as readers to go, who is Jesus about when he's around people who don't know who Jesus is and what he's about? And so the, the, the first thing that we really see, this big kind of glaring thing that we see is Jesus has come to establish this kingdom. He talks about this kingdom of God being at hand. The time is fulfilled. And everything we've talked about has been in rhythm of this kingdom. He has been showing us how in the kingdom of Jesus, there is no sickness. In the kingdom of Jesus, there is no pain. In the kingdom of Jesus, there's no demons. He calms storms. He shows himself to be awesome over and over and over again. Now, last week, we talked about um, this dude named John the Baptist, and it was actually a first section in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is not mentioned. So it's this guy, John the Baptist, who is a cousin of Jesus, who ends up being martyred, um, killed, beheaded for something that a pagan Roman um, ordered out, right? So this Roman who, who uh, saw this girl dance, liked the dance, said, I'll give you whatever you want. She said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter, and so he gave it to her, okay? And what we basically, uh, what I put in front of us was this idea that, that this discipleship, this road that Jesus puts in front of us was, was never intended to be easy, and if, if anyone has ever promised you that, then they sold you a bag of goods, man. Like, that's just not the case. The, the, the Jesus we see in the Gospels over and over, he spends time with his father, he gets replenished, and as he leaves, he's either serving or he's suffering over and over and over again. Spends time with the father, leaves, leaves the presence of his father, well, never leaves the presence of his father, right? So he, he, he's serving or he's suffering over and over. And then he passes that mandate on to his disciples who teach us those ways. Now, with that in mind, um, I, I got done um, teaching last week and, and went home, Myers family nap, Sunday afternoon, mandatory in the Myers household, did that, and uh, woke up that night and, uh, um, yeah, it was a long nap, um, Woke up, and, uh, and I was reading an article on, on CNN's website. And it was just this crazy article about these four girls, these 14- and 15-year-old uh, uh, girls who basically um, wanted to join ISIS, and so they were smuggled in, and so they, they, they ended up getting smuggled into an ISIS stronghold, and, um, and now they're joining ISIS, and there's kind of their parents want them to come back. And it was crazy reading this article because just talking about like what we as Christians have been called to do, that we are called to be in this world to be a blessing. We, we've been given this salvation, not because we earn it or deserve it or have done anything. There's, there's nothing we've brought into the table, but for some reason, he has said, follow me. He has said to your heart, seek my face. And your heart has replied back, Lord, your face I will seek, right? And so you haven't done anything. You haven't conjured that up. That's something the Holy Spirit is doing within you. And as he does that within you, it's hard. And, and, and so we would say, sell out and give everything to Jesus Christ. And then I'm reading this story about these girls who, who are literally doing that. And it really made me think, like, to see that, to read this article, and then I ended up finding a, a news feed on it, just watching these girls kind of go to the airport. They're getting smuggled in. Like, what, what compelled these four young girls? I mean, 
man, 14 and 15 years old, to give their life to this cause. Now, I don't in any way want to bring up any type of political. This is my, my, my point is this. Like, I want to make a clear distinction between my Muslim friends and ISIS because there is huge distinctions there. Um, but, but the same way we wouldn't paint a brush with like, the Westboro Baptist people, we wouldn't be like, yeah, us and Westboro people, we want to boycott soldiers' funerals as well. Like, that's the same idea, right? So we're not with them in the same way that all Muslims would not say they are with ISIS. But, but with, I, they, there's this kind of underlining tone of fear that they kind of bring so, or, or maybe there's this um, afterlife that they're promising or whatever it is. But, but my question that I really began to wonder is like, what propels them to do that? And then what I began to ask is, man, I just, I just sat and talked with us as a church. What propels us to follow Jesus? I mean, if these girls are willing to give their life up to follow this cause, what propels us to follow the cause of Jesus, to, to, to walk in his kingdom. And today I want to talk about that very idea. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read three different stories, as, as John and Tree just read. And in these stories, um, I need you to understand that it's the very first story that we're going to read, the very first miracle, this Jesus feeding 5,000 that we're so familiar with, with from a distance. Like we understand that there's a couple miracles that is, that's made Jesus famous. He's turned water into wine, right? Um, he, he's walked on water, which we'll, we'll, we'll get to in a second. And he's kind of fed this 4,000 or 5,000. And what's, what's awesome about this story is it's more than we just um, read, know, and, and walk away. Matter in fact, um, St. Augustine, who was a, um, a juggernaut theologian very early in our Christian history, um, says this, and I think it's helpful um, for, this is what he would say, he was the word of God talking about Jesus and all the acts of the word are themselves words to us. They are not as pictures merely to look at and admire, but letters which we must seek to read and understand. Now, Augustine is talking specifically about this text. He would say, if Jesus is the word, we're not just to look face value at what Jesus is doing and go, okay, cool. He, he fed 5,000 people. But he would say there, it's more like a book that you open, you study, you go back, you underline, you highlight. You're trying to figure out what's really going on in this story. Now, I need you to keep that in mind. As we read this story, there's more to it because the other two smaller stories after this absolutely correlate to what Jesus does with this 5,000. Now, before we get there, let's get out our context. Um, I'm going to actually start in verse 30. They started reading in verse 31 just to um, provide a little bit more context for us. Verse 30. Chapter 6 in Mark. It says this, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest for a while. Real quick, context. Um, You don't know, but before we heard the story of John the Baptist, Jesus sent out his disciples to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and now they have returned. Okay, so that's them returning. When it says the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that uh, they had done, that's them returning. Jesus sent them out, and and, uh, now they've returned. And he says to them, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest for a while. Beautiful. That Jesus in this moment would say, hey, this is great. Now now stop and just rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So we kind of get this um, framework for Jesus that he's looking at his disciples. You've done some really awesome things. Man, you, you went to work and you, and you really t- tried talking to your coworker today. And that was awesome. And man, you, you've, you've served, you, you were in the setup team or you, 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 you were your greeter, you did children's ministry. These, these are great things. You are, you're doing great as a father. You're getting on the ground and playing transformers with your kids. Okay, now I need you to, 
be for a little bit, right? I need you to stop, and I need you to be still for a moment. I need you to rest for a while and just be with me, okay? This is the God. Now, now I'm, I'm trying to rev something up here. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we have been told is a rugged road of discipleship in front of us. This is that God that, that, that points us down that road and says, follow me, okay? So verse 33 says this. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot, from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and began to teach them many things. So let's talk about what happens. Uh, Jesus gets in this boat to go to this other side. They're, they're crossing the other side and people are looking. They recognize the sail maybe and they go, that's Jesus and his boys. And so they start sprinting to the other side of the lake, right? So they're getting to the other side of the lake, waiting for Jesus, waiting for Jesus. Now Jesus is sitting in the boat with his disciples, and he sees all these masses of people on the other side of the lake as they pull up, and he looks at them, and I need you to hear for a second what Jesus sees, because he doesn't see tons of people now that he's famous. He looks at them, and he has compassion on them. He has compassion on them. Now, before we go on reading, I want to stop, because this is, this is, where, where the, the whole thing we're going to talk about is going to swing. This is the pendulum in which we really have to hold tightly to because this is um, something that God declares himself to be over and over. And hear me when I say this. This is what compels us to follow him. This idea that Jesus looks upon these people and us with compassion. Because as you read the Old Testament over and over and over, you know what? God declares himself to be a God of mercy and compassion. Exodus 34, Psalm 103. He is a God of mercy and compassion. Matter of fact, I I love, I I was uh, reading through this and um, I kind of go through a psalm a day. In Psalm 145, it says this, the Lord is good to all and his compassion is over all that he has made. So even in creating all the things that he has created, all that you look at, You and me, he looks at and said, all that I have made, compassion is interwoven in all this because I did not have to make it. I have compassion. There's this mercy and compassion. He actually, in that psalm, goes on to explain how um, there's compassion because why would you use that? There's a million things he could have used there. Like there's love in all that I've made. There's grace in all that I've made. But he uses this word compassion. Right? And he goes on to explain it in verse 15 and 16. The eyes of all who look to you, talking about the Lord, you give their food in due season. You open their hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. He is a supplier. He recognizes that you are like a baby. And this is Ezekiel 16. Like a baby, you're born, you are left in a field to die. But he comes, he raises you up, he makes you beautiful. He gives you what is his, and you are undeserving in all of it. He has compassion. And when Jesus looks at the crowd, he is perfectly incarnate. He is, he is absolutely the perfect reflection, as Colossians 1 would say, of God the Father. He is the visible image of that invisible God. Now, I, I don't want you to just say, it's more than that, though, right? Um, because when he looks at 
It's not just this one word for compassion, how we translate. There's actually uh, the, the word for compassion uh, here that, that Mark intentionally uses is used 12 times in the New Testament. And it's a very, very specific Greek word. Now, if you've been here coming for a while, I, I try to only use the Greek stuff so I can, one, I look really cool when I do it. Um, but two, um, I, I only try to do it when, when I have to and I feel like it's really pertinent to the text. And I think absolutely this is one of the moments where if we're going to follow Jesus to understand who and what he is, is. Um, and so I want to read a quote from you, uh, to you by uh, a lady named Amy Sherman. We use this book called Kingdom Calling in um, our leadership development for redemption. And um, it's the last book. And, and basically, before I read the quote, this book, the premise of this book is how um, your vocation matters and how the righteous in the city, that if we as Christians would be who we're called to be, the city is better for it. Like Jeremiah 29 talks about this, that we need to be doing what's best for the city, right? Like we get nothing from Altaloma. We're not going there getting to uh, verbally preach the gospel, but we're going to do what's best for the city. And so this is our mantra as a church. We want to do what's best for the city. And so um, in this book, she talks about this idea of, um, of Jesus seeing the 5,000. I'm, I'm going to read it to you. Um, and you can see it on the screen. This is what it says in her Kingdom Calling book in about the third chapter. The Greek word for felt compassion is splognizomai, meaning to have the bowels yearn, yearn, yearn with pity. Splagnizomai refers to innards or guts. As Jesus looks out at the hungry crowds, he experiences gut-wrenching compassion. This Greek word is used 12 times in the New Testament. 11 of them refer to Jesus being moved with compassion and then feeding or healing or teaching. So I, I need you to, to get your mind around and your heart around this idea. Is Jesus looks at the masses. He sees the masses. There's something like physically that happens to him. He looks at them and he says, they're lost, man. Like, Peter, John, can you not see? They're, they're sprinting ahead of us. Like, what do they have to gain? There's something deep within them that they need. Their, their heart longs and they're looking for it in silly relationships and, and stupid trinkets. But they need me. And they're like sheep without a shepherd. And there's this gut-wrenching, I, I can't even eat right now. I, I remember um, a month ago, uh, probably three months ago, my, my youngest daughter, um, Eve, she, she's two. This happens just as a parent. The first for parents is always the worst, right? Like when the, when the, the parents who have their first kid and they're like, my, fee- my, my kid has 103 fever. I'm like, yeah, okay. Well, let me know when they're at like 110. Then we'll take them to the hospital, right? There's this like, I've been there, done that kind of mentality. And um, Eve, we'd never had, she had this uh, cut on her foot and there was a staph infection. And we didn't know this is our first thing. So we're freaking out, but she's in Candace's arms and Eve's like shaking. She's super lethargic. And I just remember in that moment, not not just that we need to get her to the hospital, but I remember thinking, like, I'm so sick to my stomach. Like, the idea of eating right then, the idea of doing anything else but saving my baby girl was, was so absurd. All that matters was this moment. Like, I didn't care about food. I didn't care about water. My stomach was churning within me. This is Jesus looking at his children going, you got, can, can you see this? Like, there's this splagnizomai, there's this gut-wrenching, my innards, I'm, I'm moved with compassion to see them. This is the God we serve. He cares that deeply about our spiritual, our physical well-being. He cares. He cares. And it's more than just that word, cares. It's, it's deep. It's a visceral reaction to what's going on inside of his body. So with Jesus looking at the crowd, 
having compassion on them. Um, I'll pick it up because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They began to teach them many things. So he goes on. We'll come back to that section specifically. And I, and I want you to know, she says there's 12 references. 11 of them refer to Jesus. You know what the 12th one is? It's the, the story of the prodigal son. When the, son, when the father sees the son far off and he has compassion on him, like as there's this reaction within the father to go, oh my gosh, my son's back. Like there's this, I don't, <laughs> I don't, my son's back. There's this physical reaction that, that happens, which I think um, helps us get our mind around uh, what's happening within Jesus. Verse 35, and it grew late and his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away and go, to, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Um, just to, to quickly summarize what's taking place, if you read John 6, um, it, it's a parallel account of this, and uh, Jesus is actually talking specifically to Philip, and we're told he's actually just doing this to test him. Like, he's like, hey, Jesus, we need to get them so they can go get dinner somewhere. Jesus is like, you give them dinner. And he's like, <laughs> wait, what? Okay. And so there's this, there's this, Jesus is trying to, like, in a very beautiful, poetic way, Jesus is, is trying to teach his disciples something here, and Philip doesn't know how to respond, um, which is awesome. Verse 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifty. So essentially, um, they find out this, this little boy has some bread and fish. And so they get the bread and fish. Jesus says, okay, here's the deal. Let's set them out. I want to set them out in groups of hundreds and fifties. And, and just a side note, which is kind of cool. Um, the other accounts of the other gospels say it's a big green uh, hill here that they're sitting on. And actually, it's gardening language that's being set up. Very intentional by Jesus. He has them sit in like 50 and 100 groups. And, and what's being portrayed in like the the greek is like it's meant to look like this huge like bouquet of flowers like the way that he's trying to tell us this is if you were to stand back and you were to look at this big hill countryside it's these mass groups of people that kind of look like flowers on the countryside it's really cool that's has nothing helpful to the text but i just thought it would be awesome to share verse 41 and taking the five loaves and two fish he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the people he divided the two fish among them all, and all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. There's the miracle. There's a miracle we're familiar with. There's a miracle we know. Um, and this, this is more than, than meets the eye. But before we get to that, let's actually break down the context here. Because it says 5,000 men. And maybe you, you've been in church long enough. You know that, that it's specifically referring most likely to males. Most scholars would say there's closer to 10,000 to 12,000 people. Um, there's a lot of people here. Um, and there's 5,000 men who, who ate. And then you have wives and children. And so there's a lot of people. But let's just stick with our 5,000 for a second. Because this is, this is uh, kind of cool. So there's 5,000. Let's just say there's 5,000 total people. Okay. Um, at the end of this, Jesus, I, I don't know how he gets here, right? But he says, give me the fish and loaves. I don't know if they're in a picnic basket. And Jesus is reaching in like Mary Poppins, and he keeps pulling stuff out. But he's, he's pulling out the fish and loaves, and he's feeding all these masses of people. And as he's feeding all these masses of people, they all eat to the point of satisfaction. Like, literally, they're, they're full. I, I love how the NLT says it. It says, they all ate as much as they wanted. So there was never a moment where it goes like, do you have any extras? I'm still kind of, no, everyone ate so much. They're stuffed drunk and they don't, they're like, okay, enough fish. Okay. They're, they're so full. Everyone 5,000. Okay. So just here we go. Face value. Here's what the Bible said. 
Jesus just changed the molecular structure of bread and fish to feed 5,000 people. He multiplied. This is crazy. Like, if you were just to read the Bible and have a childlike heart about this, which I'm praying you do, you just read this miracle and go, wow. Okay? The dude took a, a, a foot-long Subway sandwich and fed tuna, foot-long Subway sandwich, and fed 5,000 people. 5,000. I mean, th- there's maybe 130 of us in this room. Imagine us arguing over one foot-long sub. That's not going to fill us all. There's no way around this. Jesus had to multiply this thing. I'm, I'm down in a sub myself, okay? So for all of us to be able to eat a whole sub, like two subs, you know what I'm saying? Elliot, four subs, you know what I mean? Like there's this idea for, for us to, to, to be full, and Jesus is doing something crazy here. I mean, this is awesome. I mean, forget everything else. Just relish in this moment. Jesus just did a miracle. If this happened right here, we would be like, like, if we could believe the Bible at face value, wow, wow, this is crazy. And so he, he, he feeds all these people absolutely full, um, and, and then the story goes on. Now, now, before we move on, that's the miracle. Now, we're going to come back to that miracle, and these other stories have everything to do with this miracle, and I'll show you how in a second, but I need you to, to keep that childlike faith to know that Jesus is doing something like augustine said in the beginning it's not just a miracle to to see at face value we're to take it like a book and really try to understand what is jesus really doing here so let's go on this is what it says in verse 45 after all the 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 people at eight they're all satisfied says this immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to bethsaida well, he dismissed the crowd. Just real quick, I want to stop. A side note, kind of cool. Jesus doesn't go, hey, bam, 5,000 are fed. I'm out. Disciples clean up. No, no, no. That's not the God we serve. Like, right? Like, I love that Jesus in this moment says, hey, disciples, go. I'll take care of this. He's shaking hands. He's making sure everyone's taken care of. He dismisses the crowd. Jesus is very much um, involved. He doesn't lose the smell of sheep on him. He's not some like mega church pastor with 10 security guards around him. No, no, you guys go. I'll take care of everyone else. I'll dismiss the crowd. I'll clean up. This is the God we serve. It goes on as well. He dismissed the crowd, verse 46. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out, uh, out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that there were, they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. So this is, just so you know, also the account in the other Gospels, where Peter comes and walks out on water. Mark, uh, again, is immediate, and he's trying to get through uh, the story here, and so he only puts what is most important, and it's not so much Peter walking on water as much as it's Jesus walking on water. So um, what you have is Jesus goes up to spend time with his, with, uh, his father, and as he, he's on this hill, he sees the disciples. The wind's against them. There's this kind of storm going on. They're not making headway, so Jesus, he goes to take a stroll, and I love, I was just, Aubrey and I were just talking about this because he's on the sea and it's the fourth watch of the night. It's between three and 6 a.m. It's, it's, you technically early, it's so late, right? And so he's walking, right? And he's walking and I love it says, and he meant to pass by them, okay? So he's like walking, walking on the waves, walking on the waves. He's like, oh, hey, what are you guys, what are you doing here? I was just on the way to the store. I was getting some bread and fish, but you guys are, hey, how, you know? And so he, like, he totally means, and the disciples are like, 
they're, and they're terrified. They think it's a ghost. Just some comic relief. I think it's hilarious because Jesus is just like, what are you doing out here? Okay. Um, I, I, love, I love just how Mark just puts that in. Like, he meant to pass by them. So here, here's Jesus. He sees them, and he, he, he uh, gets into the boat with them. And I, I want you to, to hear what, uh, what said because I, I think it's helpful um, continuing in verse 50. Uh, uh, but immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So he gets in the boat. They're scared. He was just walking on water. He just changed like the density of water, FYI. Water. He's walking on it, okay? On water. He's walking on water. Um, Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. Listen to verse 52. They're utterly astounded. For, why are they utterly astounded? They did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Okay. So they're sitting there. Jesus is about to walk by them, sees them, gets in the boat, and they're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. The dude changed fish and loaves. Like, they totally, like, there's this, like, yeah, but he was just walking on. It's like, well, yeah, he was, but that's just Jesus. He's always doing crazy stuff like that. Do you remember the fish and loaves? Okay. Like, there's this, because they, they didn't understand. Now, so, so Mark intentionally ties. He ropes in this story of Jesus walking water, ties it together, and throws it on top of the feeding of the 5,000. They, in this moment, don't understand what's going on because they're still contemplating the feeding of the 5,000. And then it goes on to say this in verse 53. Let's keep trucking. When they had come across, uh, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, um, sorry, and more to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. Verse 56. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, and countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as had touched him were made well, we're familiar with the touching of the garment, aren't we? Remember the woman with the issue of the blood? She touches the fringe of Jesus's garment. So, I mean, we don't know what's happening, but maybe that idea has spread. And so now there's this, uh, excuse me, there's this idea of all these people kind of putting their sick. There's moms putting their children. There, there's uh, husbands putting their wives. There's, there's grandparents uh, uh, putting their grandkids. And they, they just want Jesus to heal them. And what does Jesus do, right? Who is the God we follow? He, he, in this moment, has spent time with his father. And what is he doing over and over? He's either suffering or, in this moment, he is giving. He is serving. He's giving himself away. And so he stops and he gives. But there's more that happens in this text. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, can you go to John chapter 6? Um, we're not, we don't, I try not to flip too much, but I want you to read this. Um, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 6. If you're in Mark, um, you're going to go two books over to the right. And in John... Chapter 6, it, it, it gives us a little more insight as to the interaction with Jesus and these people. As they land to the other side, there's a little more interaction as to what is going on. This is what it says in John chapter 6, verse 25. Okay? Um, so we just, just read this story of how it, it happened as he crossed over and, and all that. Um, when they found him on the other side, so this is the same exact story. This is just a different account of that story. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you. Now stop real quick. They're asking why did he come here because they saw only his disciples get in the boat. Remember? We watched your disciples get off. When did you get in the boat, right? And he's like, well, I was walking on the water. And so um, 
Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Let me just, verse 26, I want you to look very specifically at verse 26, where he says, truly I say to you, in the NIV, this is what it says, I tell you the truth. Next part, this is what it says, still in verse 26. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Okay, so, so here it is. Let's, let's, let's uh, flip everything on its head right now. Why do we follow Jesus Christ? He is full of compassion. This is, this is why we want to follow him. But what is really going on with the feeding of the 5,000? Because Jesus just said, hey, all these people are around because you ate your fill. Referencing back to the feeding of the 5,000. The people are on the boat. They're saying, I, we didn't understand the feeding of the 5,000. These stories are tied in to this feeding of the 5,000. And if Augustine's right, that we need to, to really begin to read and understand what's taking place with the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus just looked at the crowd and said, listen, you're coming after me because I gave you food, physical food, but you're missing it. You're missing it. Don't, don't, don't toil. Don't work. Don't come after me because I can, I can just heal the sick physically or I can just give you a meal. I'm here for something so much more. And suddenly our eyes begin to open that Jesus is absolutely perfectly the perfect symbol of the very bread that he gives these people. This, this Messiah who comes, this, this bread of life who now feeds the people, is trying to show them something. Can't you see that I have abundance? Can't you see that I give overflowing? Can't you see that I have compassion on you? And, and remember, why did he have compassion? Because they're like sheep wandering around and they're lost. It's not because they were hungry. It's because they're lost. And suddenly we see the feeding of the 5,000 has everything to do with Jesus' compassion on their souls. Yes, I'll feed you. I'll take care of you. You're my son. You're my daughter. But no, I am the bread of life. I'm the one that you're looking for because here's the truth. Eternity eternity is absolutely stored up in the hearts of men. Ecclesiastes 3.11. And if that's the case, everyone's looking for Jesus. Everyone. Every single human who's ever walked this earth is looking for Jesus. And unfortunately, some of us are looking in such ridiculous places even in this moment, even in religiousness, in churchosity, some of us are looking in crazy places, in, in husbands and in wives and in, in kids and in, in dating. We're looking in all these places, but that's not where it's found. You're looking for Jesus. You just don't know you're looking for Jesus because your, your heart has this void that only Jesus can fill. And yes, absolutely, he can do the miracle to feed the 5,000. But if you're only looking for bread that satisfies for a day, that's not the Jesus we follow. That's, that's not the Jesus we follow. He has compassion because he loves deeply and he cares deeply for our souls. He's trying to communicate to these people, I can provide abundantly. I can give you everything you're looking for and you're following me because I gave you fish and bread? What are you missing? You're missing it. My man Spurgeon, I haven't quoted him in a while, he gets at us with this um, and I, I think it's a great quote. I put my man, oh, they only put Spurgeon. I told him to dash my man Spurgeon. But um, come then, weary, hungry sinner, 
Listen to what he says, talking about this text. Come then, weary, hungry sinner. You have nothing to do but to take Christ. You have not to bake the bread or broil the fish. The bread and fish are broken, blessed and ready. Come, taste and see. Faith to receive what Christ provides is all that is needed. Like, if, if you are in this moment trying to get your mind around following Jesus and thinking, man, I need to get my A game right, I need to get going in the right direction, and then I'll follow Jesus, you don't get Jesus. You don't understand. It's not that he looks at you with um, amazement. No, no, no. He looks at you with compassion. He looks at you with compassion. Because you too once were a sheep wandering around in desperate need for a shepherd. And then suddenly you hear this voice, Right? Like, that's the voice I've been longing for for so long. I've been looking and, and, and listening and trying to find that voice and crazy. And suddenly there's the chief shepherd, First Peter 5. The chief shepherd is saying, follow me. I, uh, I got to tell this story. And I don't want to be the pastor who always tells, like, what happens that week to give sermon illustrations. But this was just too crazy. Story of the week. I was just telling some people about this, okay? Um, so I'm driving home on Tuesday or Monday afternoon after, after work and, I'm, I'm driving home, and I see, like, what I think is a dust storm. It's not a dust storm. It's a house on fire, and it just started. So I pull down the street, and I um, see that this house is on fire, and I'm the first one there. So I'm freaking out, right? I'm like, what do I do? I'm not talking to anyone. I was like, ah, okay. Um, so, so I'm standing there, and, and there's smoke coming out the window, and it's very hot. Next-door neighbor comes out. She goes, she, you know, she was freaking out. She's like, ah, she literally did this. Ah, okay. And I'm like, is there anyone inside? What do we? She's like, I don't know. And she runs inside. I'm like, where are you going? She's like, I'm calling 911. And so, um, uh, as I'm sitting there, I don't know. Now this other guy uh, rolls up, and another guy rolls up, and she has bars on the front. Um, and uh, she comes out again. The next door neighbor comes out as we're trying to pry these bars off. And as we're trying to pry these bars off, um, we eventually get these bars down. And we're saying, "Is anyone inside? Is anyone inside?" I, you know, I go to the the bedroom window. I knock out the the window with the rock. Hey, is there anyone inside? Is there anyone inside? We can't hear anyone. And she goes, "I think she's gone right now. Um, she usually takes her bike for a bike ride right now. So we, we're assuming she's not in there, but we can hear dogs." Okay? And so there's these dogs inside, and, um, and I'm sitting there, and we, we took off the bar, and we smashed the front window, and it's this big window, and like, I'm looking from myself to the, the, the stand right here. I'm looking at this dog, and I'm saying, come on, come on, like, come out. And this dog, like, it, it's uh, around this hallway, it's looking, but then it peers back, and it's looking, it peers back, and, and you know, somebody brought the point, maybe she was inside, we found out later she wasn't inside, but I'm looking, and this dog will not come. Like there's a couch the dog can jump on, come out the window. And I'm trying to plead with this dog. And you need to understand, I'm not an animal person, okay? Now, I don't want a dog to burn alive, but I'm not an animal person, okay? Um, so so I, I'm like, listen, you don't want to come deuces. I'm out. I got to get home, okay? No, not happening. So I'm like trying to plead with this dog. Eventually the firefighters arrive. And this dog, these dogs, they never come out. And these dogs, and this is where it gets a little morbid. These dogs totally die. They, they burn alive in this house. Now, hear, hear me when I say this. Um, that's not a great way to finish that story. Um, but but <laughs> the, the, the point was this. The sermon illustration sounded way better in my mind. Okay? Um, the, the, the point was this, as, as, as I'm looking at these dogs, I remember driving home and something really clicked and I'm not, not just cause like I'm the pastor or whatever, but I honestly, like, I felt like in this moment, that's absolutely what Jesus is like doing to our family, our friends, or even some of us like sitting there pleading. And it was so hot. Like you can't get close to it hot. And you're sitting here like you're in an inferno right now. Like get out. Like Jesus just absolutely get out. Like there's smokes on your, get out of the house. But no, but no, 
Like he has compassion. He cares. He wants you to get out of the house. But what are you doing? You're going to sit there and burn alive. This is crazy. The God we follow has compassion. He wants you to jump into his arms. He cares deeply for you. And if we, we can understand that this is the God we follow and this is what propels us, um, I'll, I'll close with this. Um, it's important for us as a church to understand um, that, that this isn't just the way that we view our God and how we follow, but this is also how we try to um, speak and live for other people to follow the God we follow. And what I mean by that is um, I think too often we're seeing uh, the, the creator of the universe um, and our relationship to him as exclusive, and then we see other people as like heathens. And suddenly there's this um, short-term or long-term memory uh, that we absolutely lose in that moment to go, hey, hey, you once were dead in your trespasses. You once were dead. Matter of fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about homosexuality, greediness. It talks about licentiousness, all these things. And it says, as were such, as were such you. Like, you used to be like that. You used to be the sheep wandering around looking for a shepherd. And the posture is never one of, I have Jesus and you don't. You're a sinner. No. Okay, I'll do it. This is my exercise with my five-year-old. I'm not rhetorical. I'm going to ask you, whose image are you made in? Okay, whose image are you made in? Is God compassionate? Then what are you? For you to be fully human is to be how your creator has made you to be. And for you to not look at the people, your, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends and family, and to have compassion is ridiculous. To think you're awesome in this, right? So like, I love to build stuff. I, I love to build stuff, whether it be like we're building the garden or my, my boy's bunk bed or whatever it is. But my father-in-law is a contractor, okay? So I need you to understand, like, anytime I build something, like, look, I built a bed. He's like, I just built a house, okay? So I'm always, like, one step behind, okay? Now, it would be silly for me to walk into that house and go, Joe, this is nice. What kind of hammer did you use? Okay? And I pick up the hammer and go, this is one awesome ha- This hammer did all this, Okay? That would be ridiculous to think that it's the tool. No, like Joe thought this through. He had the blueprints. He used the tool. Ladies and gentlemen, you're not the contractor. You're the tool. Well, don't, okay, you're not a tool. You're the tool, okay? In that moment for us to recognize that Jesus is using us not because we deserve anything, but that we would be a people of compassion because compassion has been shown to us. May we reflect that in our lives. May we understand that in our hearts. May we absolutely be God to the people, these small lights, as John 1 would say, these small lights to the people who don't know him. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for who you are, for your grace, for your love, and the fact that you are a God of compassion. We understand that at the core of everything you do, everything you've woven in is compassion and mercy. And so um, we really want to rely on that to understand that it's not how we get there or what we've done, but it's, it's, it's what you've done. And Jesus, all you've told us in John 6, that the work of God is, is to trust, to rely, to be with the one that the Father has sent. That's the work of God, to trust you, Jesus. That's it. May we do that. May we trust you every single day and rely on the fact that it's your good works, that it's it's you doing what you're doing. And then may we be a people that reflect that to our community. May we live all of our life, 
all for you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. And we absolutely thank you, not just for your miraculous works, but for the reason in which you do them, to show us you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as always, we, we uh, take some time to just be for a little bit. And so um, we're just going to take a